Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a Mouse Clubhouse Conversation. Hi, this is Scott Wolf, and this conversation is with Stan Fries. Stan is the talent booking director for Disneyland, responsible for hiring so much of the entertainment you see at the resort, from the Dapper Dan's Barbershop Quartet to the fantastic big bands to the Grammy Award-winning Mariachi Divas. If you're strolling around the park and enjoying some live entertainment, you have Stan to thank. Stan has been with Disney since 1971, when he was the very first conductor of the Walt Disney World Band. He came to California and went on to conduct the Disneyland Band, and even had his own Stan Freeze Big Band at the park. But Stan is not just one of the top brass at Disneyland, he is a tuba soloist. Yes, a tuba soloist. One of the foremost tuba players in the world. He's performed both here and abroad, including a 29-concert tour of the Soviet Union and a command performance at the White House. Stan appeared in TV shows and movies, and if you watch the 2011 movie The Muppets, take a look at the close-up of the tuba player. That's Stan. Stan is so much fun to be around, too, and you never know what to expect from him. You get the sense of that just walking up to the front door of his house, passing by the tree adorned with full-size tubas and other brass instruments. One time I was walking around Disneyland with Stan, and the next thing I knew, he hopped up on the stage with his harmonica to join in one of the bands he hired, much to the delight of the audience. To begin this conversation from 2008, I asked Stan about how he came to appear on the Hee Haw television series. Here's Stan Freeze. When I turned 40, I realized I'd recorded every kind of music there was on the tuba, except I'd never done any country. You know, I'd been on some kind of recordings with somebody on almost every genre that you could, you know, record using a tuba, whether it's symphony or, or symphonic band or Dixieland or Cajun or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, so I thought, man, I got three months to write a country tune and record it. So when I turn 40, you know, I'll be cool. So I wrote this. So then I sat down to write it and went, wait a minute, I don't know anything about country music. What am I going to write about, you know? So I wrote a country tune about a symphony tuba player that goes into a redneck bar, gets lost on the way to a symphony job, and goes into a redneck bar to ask for directions. And like the old TV westerns where the rough cowboys would make the the nerd cowboy dance by shooting at his yeah. boots when he came in. Well, here I've got the rough cowboys making this symphony tuba player play country music on his tuba. Yeah. And yeah, it worked out, yeah. And it worked great, player. man. So, yeah. so I came in and I played it for my boss, Sonny, the next oh, day. Okay. And he flipped out. You know, and he said, this is great. He says, I know Sam LaBelle, the producer of Hee Haw, and I'm going to go up and see him next week. Come on up with me. So I jumped in the car, went up with Sonny. We walked into Sam's office up in Hollywood. And um, so they had their little meeting. And all then Sonny said, well, I want, I want you to hear something Stan wrote. And so uh, Sam LaBelle put it in the tape recorder. And, and about halfway through the song, I was getting bugged because he really wasn't paying as much of attention to it as I wanted him to. He just walked over to this big calendar on the wall with a grease pen and just started making marks on the calendar when he wanted me to come to Nashville. Oh, yeah. Really? So I said, okay, can you come here? Can you come these days? Wow. And I went, yeah. Is that where it was done? Was it done mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all taped in Nashville. Wow. And I did it every year for 10 years after that. 
I would you, just, yeah. So you were doing different things. You were, I mean, the, the well, no, here's what sold you. But. Yeah, my full-time job was Disney. I could go down there and just tape my stuff in three days. So yeah. I'd take vacation time, go down there and tape my stuff and come home. And I, my deal was that I could be on that show as many times as I could write a funny tune, original tune about a tuba player or a tuba. Oh. So there might be certain, uh, you know, a, a year go by and I haven't had time to write anything. Mm -hmm. And then the next year, bang, I'm back at it again. So yeah. they would, I'd call him say, okay, I got a couple things. This features uh, Roy Clark and Minnie Pearl. He'd say, okay, be down here, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's just start at the beginning. When did you become interested in music? In music. My mom and dad were both public school music teachers. They both had their master's degree from Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa in music education. And so I just kind of grew up not knowing there was anything else besides music. So I started out playing drums uh, at five and I played drums until I was in fourth grade, in the fourth grade, I switched over to tuba on a dare. On a dare. On a I was dare. Ask you why you chose the tuba? Yeah, two of my buddies. They, uh, we were at the school assembly to pick out instruments. This was back in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis called Edina, and um, they had an assembly where the band director came in with the different instruments and talked to all the kids about taking an instrument for the next, uh, well actually I would have been in third grade, uh, third or fourth. The band actually started in fourth. Anyhow, so my friends dared me and so I brought the tuba home. I took the tuba right at home and uh, my dad and mom thought, well fine, he'll get tired of this in about a week. <laughs> and so I just stuck with it. Wow. And by the time I was in fifth grade, I'd won the Minnesota uh, high school state solo contest a wow. year later on tuba. Wow. Yeah, and a tuba is generally not a solo instrument. Right, exactly. Do you remember what you played with that? Yes, yeah, uh, that year is uh, called Solo Pomposo. Hmm. And um, so then I won it every year till I graduated from high school, starting as a, as a fifth grader. Had you ever heard anyone do a solo on a tuba? No, but, and Had my dad ever? just didn't tell me it couldn't be done. So he was my only real private teacher. I took lessons, you know, I mean, I took band in, in elementary school and junior high, but he was my private. And he was a trumpet player, really excellent trumpet player and, and a teacher and taught high school, college, and then his last 10 years were elementary because he was so concerned about the fact that kids got a really good start if they were going to continue. So. Uh, and then my mom was a choir director and a vocal teacher and an English teacher and blah, blah, blah. So I just played while I was on the Lawrence Welk show when I was 12. Really? And, um, uh, yeah, and, and I had, but I, I started doing a stand-up act in clubs and hotels when I was 12 or 13 huh. with the sousaphone. Oh. Yeah, and I had arrangements for the band in the pit. And my dad would take me to the different jobs, and I would play and, and do a 12-minute, 12, 12 to 15-minute act. Wow. And one summer, they had me come out. The Welk Band and Lawrence were in Minneapolis to do the Minnesota State Fair. And they were going to have a, uh, a dinner for them, for the band and for Lawrence. And the, so they hired me to entertain. And it, when I got off stage, Welk sent somebody over and said that he wanted to talk to me. And, so, 
he asked me if I wanted to be on the show. I said, of course, you know, yeah. so he flew me out with my dad. And at that time, he had two shows, one on Wednesday night, one on Saturday night. And um, so they offered me a full-time job on the band. Wow. Yeah. You were still 12? That's 13, uh, eighth grade. Wow. Whatever that would have been, I guess it's 13. Yeah, but I would have had to have moved to California, and that wasn't going to work, you know. So, wow. isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah, so that was fun. Yeah. So anyhow, I majored in music education at the university, and I taught school for a year, and then I was asked to be the tuba soloist uh, for the government for the cultural exchange program and be the tuba soloist throughout the Soviet Union for two months. So I did, and I was the tuba soloist all throughout the Soviet Union into Siberia, and, and um, uh, as a result of that tour, about halfway through, we were getting such notoriety from the tour that the White House called and asked if we would do a command performance. So we flew our last concert at the Kremlin. Two days later, I was doing a command performance playing my solo at the Rose Garden at the White House. Wow. And it got a lot of international press and national press because obviously there wasn't much going on in the world those few days. Yeah. And the tuba soloist hadn't, they'd never had a tuba soloist in the Soviet Union wow. or at the White House. Yeah. So uh, Disney had followed a lot of that stuff, unbeknownst to me. No yeah, so uh, through a, just a wild set of circumstances, I got an interview, I got a call when I got back to Minneapolis, I decided I'd finish teaching that school year, and um, then I quit and came out and did studio work out here in Hollywood. Moved out here, and uh, that was 70, I guess. And um, Disney found out that I was out here, so they, Jim Christensen asked me if I'd come down for an interview. So I came down for an interview with, with Jim and with Bob Yanni. And to be a tuba player at Disney World when they were going to open that a few oh, okay. months later, the next year. So I said, sure. And by the time the interview was over, they offered me the job as the band leader. Wow. So I became the first leader of the Disney World band sure. when they opened up Disney World. Huh. Full-time leader. Yeah, Jim came down. He and I both opened the park. He stayed for a month or so, and then he came back out here. Oh, wow. So. Now, you put together the band, right? At Disney World, yeah. they I had helped pull some of the guys together. Um, we opened the park, and within 30 days, almost the whole band had quit. Why was that? Because it was hot and humid and bugs, and nobody knew. They were also all over the country in that first Disney World band, yeah. but nobody knew how rough that job was. Yeah. So within, you know, by Christmas time, we opened it in September. By Christmas time, there was almost a full turnover. So I was flying to Washington, D.C., the service bands looking for people. I was getting people out of Atlanta, whatever else. So There wasn't a lot of local talent? Not a lot. Is it because it was Florida? I mean, Orlando, Florida, there just wasn't a lot of at that time. Now, the, naturally, since Disney's been there for 100 years, there's some great players. Yeah. But at the time, there wasn't, yeah. So, but I ended up, when I'd hire a guy from a different part of the country, I'd bring him down for three days, say, I like you, but I want you to come down for three days and walk around with us in this 100 degree, 100% humidity and see if you want the job. Yeah. And a lot of guys said no after the three days. Yeah, they bailed. Wow. Were the schedules different? Uh, were they, I mean, these were musicians and now you're putting it in, into a 
kind of a Disney schedule of uh, where they Well, it's daytime work, demand. but the neat thing down there was there was daytime and nighttime because we had just opened up and there's a lot of hotels and special events and blah, blah, blah. So everybody made, all the musicians made a lot of money really? for that time. Yeah. But you this know. year having them, was it performing more than what a normal job Oh, yeah, for was? sure. Yeah. And outdoors. Yeah. And in that humidity and heat. Yeah. But know. I imagine by the guests it was pretty well received. Oh, yeah, for sure. What was the next thing for you? I did that a long time. How long did you do that? Uh, years. I don't even remember, but yeah. years. And then, and then uh, went into some show directing, then went back to the band, and then talent booking, and... In and Florida? Band. No, here. Oh, there I only stayed a year and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Because so I went, this is crazy. I quit. Okay. I said, yeah. yeah, down there. And I said, you know what? I just can't do this. Yeah. And so they said, well, would you be interested in coming to California and being the leader of the Disneyland band and kind of start overseeing some of our stuff we're doing with the bands? I said, sure. Yeah. So they moved, my, uh, moved me out here. Now, where was the band? I know the town square, you would do that, but where else would the band perform? The Disneyland band as such would do town yeah. square. They would do Floral Mickey first thing in the morning, then town square, then Main Street, the castle. Then we'd go over to the boat, ride the Mark Twain. Really? Yeah, they still do a lot of these things. Now, in the afternoon, the band subdivides into smaller bands. Okay. So it's the Disneyland band. When you go out on Main Street in the afternoon, you're seeing members of the Disneyland band, but in different outfits and in different smaller configurations. So when you came out here, you were the band director. And Correct. And do you remember where you went to from that? How did you end up, end up with talent booking? Uh, did show directing and stuff uh, for a while. And then... For Disneyland? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you were involved with Tokyo at some point, right? Right, also. right. I've actually been, you know, an employee of the park full-time since 71. Just done a bunch of different things, which kept me from slitting my throat, you know. Yeah. So, um, yep, did uh, assisted a lot with um, auditions and getting musicians for Tokyo Disneyland, yeah. and then Tokyo Disney Seas. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, pretty recently. Yeah, with Larry Billman. What was that like? Is it uh, is it different, or was it pretty much Americanized as far as everything? It's Americanized. Yeah. You know, it's Americanized. Actually, when I went over there and worked, I would stay at the Hilton. And then go over to the park. So it's like being in Anaheim the whole time you're over there. Yeah. You know. Were they Japanese? Is that what you were? Yeah, talking? a lot of them were Japanese. We would bring over to open both parks. We brought over Americans at first. Then, because of the costs, we started gradually mutating into as many Orientals as we could. And the Disney, uh, the whole Disney culture after. Tokyo Disneyland opened, you know, the, that was available now for all the musicians, for the Japanese musicians to see and experience. So pretty soon they got an idea of what we were looking for. Yeah. You know, and there's wonderful musicians in Japan. Really? Yeah. Wow. Of every kind. Yeah. You know, uh, string instruments, guitar, uh, bluegrass, uh, wonderful wind instruments. Really? See, yeah. I realize all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Hey, you were talking about auditions. What are, do you remember any unusual auditions? Huh. Yeah, they're all unusual. Are they? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I've, the fact is, I just did an audition last week. I'm looking for uh, Golden Horseshoe subs uh, in for Billy Hill and the Hillbillies, okay. more subs. Yeah. 
and I did it up at Debbie Reynolds okay. um, in uh, up on Lancashire. And oh yeah, you get some really interesting people come in uh, audition. Really? Yeah. It yeah. kind of depends on what you're auditioning for. Yeah. But I, like here, I wanted a comedian that played good guitar. So you found some people that were just a mile off. They'd come in and, you know. So that's usually what you find are people that are not appropriate for Disney. Yeah. So is it kind of like an American Idol, like the, the early days when they first start auditioning and you, you know, you're looking for a real good singer and then you get like people coming in in like chicken suits? And no, we never, do, we never do, you know, a weed out week after week after week. Oh, yeah. After one day, we know if yeah. we found anything. I mean, anything. you get some, some that are just... Oh, yeah, totally out really there. Believe that they yeah, you feel down. sorry for them. Yeah. You know? Do you think it's mm -hmm. a real good starting ground for people? Sure. Well, not even starting ground, because you're really getting professionals. But. Yeah, but it's good for a really good young professional to start there, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know? And for a musician, it's a good place to be, period. Yeah. You know, because you can work nights, still make extra money. Yeah. You know, and you get health insurance and life insurance, and it's a day job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are there that many things that always need new talent? Yes, plus we have so many special events that we do at Disneyland. Oh, you work oh, special Oh, yeah, events. and we're doing 20 a day, you know, between the hotels. A lot of it, the really? hotels, conventions, um, uh, weddings, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, corporations rent the park out and they'll have stuff, or corporations have things over uh, at the Disneyland Hotel and they want to show... So there's always something that requires a lot of hiring of musicians, both our own staff, in-house musicians, and outside contract musicians. Tons so of like them. with weddings, that's Disney entertainers, Disney performers in a wedding? No, they're um, uh, outside people that we hire, harp players, uh, piano players, oh, wow. some vocalists. For when they're done at the hotel? Correct, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and then they might want a DJ afterwards for the reception. We hire the DJs, oh, wow. or if they want a band, we hire the bands. And then there's a lot of corporate events as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. see, Constantly. I didn't think about that. I was wondering, you know. Constantly, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's and now you're basically so you you book, you audition and book the talent, or at least find the talent. So mm -hmm. that's the main thing right. that you're doing right now. Right. Yeah. Now I'm. Uh, looking for Polynesian dancers to go over Tokyo Disneyland. So tomorrow I'll be in San Dimas, or Saturday, because there's a big Polynesian dance review there, and I think, you know, try and find people to come to our auditions here. Um, uh, I just did an audition for Tokyo Disneyland for percussion. It's for the Trash Can Trio. Oh, they're going to have... I did do the yeah, they have. Uh -huh, yeah, they have for great. a long time, yeah. So we have auditions up at Screenland, and have maybe 30 drummers all come in and audition for that. We had about 20 Polynesian dancers the last audition here, and we send the gals over to, for a, a, a run over at Tokyo Disneyland. What was the deal with the Trash Can Trio? Was that something created by Disney, or did they come in? They came in. Were you there when they started? Yeah, uh -huh, sure was. Tom Float. Well, I was part of it, yeah, for sure. How did that get started? Tom Float decided... Uh, you know, to, to bring us, and he's probably one of the finest rudimental core drummers in the world, and uh, came in and showed it to us, and we liked what he had. I, I knew that he was going to audition, so I helped him get some stuff together, and he came in for the audition, and 
It's just Rest so history. creative. Are there any other unusual ones that... Uh... Acts that we have? Yeah. Yeah, well, I would say the all-girl mariachi band yeah. is an unusual one. Was that something you put together, or were they nope. already a group? Nope, they were a group. Really? Cindy Shea wow. is the leader of that group, and she came to me years ago. She had an idea. I said, that'd be great. Hmm. And it just mutated into where they're one of the hottest mariachi bands in the area right now, on the outside also, yeah. Wow. yeah. A lot of these people go on, um, like they can continue to work and do their own things even while they're working. Sure. I mean, Disney doesn't have a problem with that. No. When you did the Disneyland band, mm -hmm. but you were leading the big band over at Carnation. Both. How did that come to be? You had started, I mean, you used to have the big names. You had Glenn Miller. Right, no, we had the Glenn Miller band. Yeah. You know, with Texan. And then we had, uh, you know, all the bands. Basie. Yeah. So why did that Stan stop? Kenton, Louis. Yeah. Well, they all died. That's why it stopped. That, that's why it stopped. Yeah. So then for a while, we still hired the bands, but with somebody else fronting it, leading it. And then after a while, we just realized, wait a minute, this is what are we spending all this money for? So that's when we started putting our own bands in there. Yeah. And you were leading it. Yeah, I led it for a couple of two or three years. Now, do you lead the band ever anymore? Uh-uh. No, you're strictly yeah. doing this. Yeah, do I miss it. Oh, yeah, heck yeah. yeah. Where uh -huh. else do you really hear this kind of music for so right. many people? Exactly. You know, without going to a concert. Or it's a music history tour now to go out through the park. Yeah. You know, that's something I continually fight for is to keep all the live music I possibly can and yeah. Dixieland bands and, you know, things are, that are just indigenous to early America and America. Yeah. Um, you know, barbershop quartets. Disneyland's the last place you can bring kids to see. John Philip Sousa and, yeah. and Carl King and and um, and Ragtime and Scott Joplin and Barbershop Quartets and We hope you've enjoyed this Mouse Clubhouse conversation. Thank you for joining us.